Let me ask you this, because this is kind of where it ties into what we're talking about today. Have you ever said something and regretted it? Right? Uh, Listen, there are lots of reasons uh, for saying what we said, right? And and maybe, maybe you have apologized with one of these before, right? Maybe, um, now we didn't, at least I didn't get to try this out, so I'm not sure if this is going to work, but maybe it will. Maybe you sent this one and said, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hungry. <laughs> right? Or maybe you sent this one, that one, I'm sorry for what I said before my coffee. <laughs> right? Or maybe this one, I'm sorry for what I said when it was winter. Or maybe this one, I'm sorry for what I said when I was dieting. <laughs> one of my favorites, that one, I'm, I'm sorry for the mean, awful, accurate things I said. <laughs> and this one, of course, is my favorite favorite, I'm sorry for what my face said while you were talking. Right, maybe, maybe you have experienced some of these regrets. And see, I think we can safely say we've all said something and regretted it later. Right, and a lot of people call that a, a slip of the tongue. And, and sometimes a slip of the tongue uh, is a complete accident, but sometimes it's not a complete accident. And sometimes we regret what we say, and the regret comes quickly, and sometimes the regret comes later. But I think no matter what the situation is, we can all say that we've had a slip of the tongue at one point or another. Now, typically, a slip of the tongue is something that we say that we don't mean. Right, like, like when your friend has a new boyfriend and you accidentally call him by her ex-boyfriend's name. Right, that's a slip of the tongue, that's awkward. Or, like what happened to a friend of mine, and this is where I learned never to say this. He was bagging groceries and, and was carrying the groceries out and he said, gosh, you look so radiant, when are you due? Only to find out this woman wasn't pregnant. Super awkward at that point. Right? That, we, we, we have those slip of the tongues. That's not the slip of the tongue that we're going to be talking about today. What we're going to be talking about is, is oftentimes what people call a slip of the tongue. But it was something that they said that really they did mean it. It was that mean, awful, accurate thing that they said. Right? And maybe they didn't like the way that they said it, or maybe they didn't like the time that they said it. But, but these comments, these kind of slips of the tongues, they do have some intentionality behind them, but they also have this great level of regret behind them. That's the comments that we're going to focus on today. That's the comments where <clears throat> when we say something and we go, gosh, where did that come from? James is going to show us where that comes from. And y'all, here's, here's what I hope happens today. I hope what, what happens today is when we look at those comments and we look through the grid of our life and we look specifically at those comments, that we're going to see how much impact those kinds of slip of the tongues can have. And we're not going to just see the impact, but y'all, this is what's scary. James is going to show us the source of those comments. The source of those comments where we look up and we say, gosh, where did that come from? The source of those comments where we say something and we have regret over them. And that source is going to be insightful, I think. That source is going to be eye-opening. And if you ever have regretted what you've said, take heart. Because what we're also going to see is how to have those slips of the tongues less often. 
right? And so today we're going to be in James chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. Um, If you need a Bible, there's some in front of you. It's on page 852 in that Bible. And if you don't own that Bible, uh, please let that be our gift to you so you can have uh, a Bible in your home. And as you're turning there, you can also download us on the, you can also look on the Bible app. We're under events and under Fellowship Asheville. And as you're turning there, like, like Caleb said, we're in a series called Wholehearted, where we're looking uh, through the book of James. And what James does is he shows us what a divided heart of faith looks like and gives us hope as to what a wholehearted faith looks like. And so today we're going to dive in and we're going to see what a wholehearted faith looks like when it comes to what we say. And in particular, what we're going to see is how what we say sometimes shows us that we actually have a divided heart instead of a whole heart. So, so, so as we go through this, bear with me. This is going to feel really guilty about halfway through, right? We're all going to, we're all going to feel pretty low, but James is going to lift us back up, all right? And Jesus is going to lift us back up. So let's dive in. James, if you're not feeling low already, James chapter 3, verse 1. James says this, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now what James is starting off saying, because he's transitioning to to talk about the tongue, is, is, is he's talking about people who do what I do. Notice he uses the word we, because James did, in a different time, in a different place, in an ancient culture, he did what I'm doing, where he stood up and taught the word of God. Now, in some ways, many of you are teachers of God's word. If you lead uh, your family devotional time at home, if you're teaching your kids the, the truth of the faith, of the faith, you are a teacher. And so you know that this has this greater strictness with it, too. In, in James's point, particularly in people who proclaim publicly the word of God, is that there is this heavier weight For those people who stand up in a place like this with the Bible open and says, thus says the Lord. And here's why. Because you come in here wanting to hear the word of God taught. You don't want to hear me, at least I hope not. You want to hear what God has to say to you. Because you're about to leave here and you're going to go to work this week or, or you're going to be taking care of your family this week. Some of you are going to be, be meeting uh, somebody for the first time this week in a dating relationship and stuff like that. You want to know what God's word says. And you come here expecting to hear that. You're, you have your Bibles open. You're taking notes. This is a big deal. As a matter of fact, it's such a big deal I don't know if you know this, because I've had people go, gosh, Fred, like, you must have your, you know, you, you just kind of go off the cuff. I guess because they see me stand over here instead of looking down up there. I do not. Let me show you something. This is my entire message, word for word, written down and highlighted, right? I go through a two-week process to write a message that I get to stand up here and preach. And I highlight it. I look at it. I do work on memorizing it, because here's why. If I have a slip of the tongue up here, it is bad theology out there. And I want to make sure that what I'm saying is as accurate as I know how to say it. Because this is a big deal. And James wants me to know that. He wants y'all to know that. And he wants y'all to know that I know that. It is a big deal. But James isn't just going to talk about teachers. He's going to talk about all of us. Look at verse 2. 
He says, for we all stumble in some ways. So notice now, it's not just teachers, it's we all stumble in some ways. And so what James is saying is, listen, y'all, a slip of the tongue can happen to anyone. A slip of the tongue happens to everyone. And that's what I love about James. He's, he's very real. He's acknowledging that not only does he have slip of the tongues, but, but that everybody does. And he's asking you to acknowledge that. Now, I think we're all on the same page on that. I think, I think when I started talking about regrets, I saw lots of head nods, uh, a few evangelical grunts from, from a little close to the front that I could hear. You know what that is, right? That's when, that's when uh, you go, mmm, mmm. In other churches, they shout out amen and, and stuff like that. But here, mmm, that's what we do. And I hear that, right? So we're all on the same page with that. Well, look what James says to everyone who has slip of the tongues. He says, for we all stumble in some ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, this word perfect means complete, and it means mature. And now remember, James... The guy who wrote this, and he wrote it to, to people of the Hebrew faith and to, and to people that weren't of the Hebrew faith that have come together uh, worshiping Jesus. And so that he knew he was, he was talking to a diverse crowd, but he's speaking specifically to Hebrews. And they know him and they know his family because remember, he is Jesus' little brother. Right? And so when he's talking about somebody being perfect, being able to, to, to control their tongue and, and, and being able to control their whole body, I think, I think what he's doing is he's having his big brother in mind. Because remember, he lived in a home where perfection and maturity was there. Not in his mom, not in his dad, but in his big brother. And he got to see somebody. Even in Jesus' ministry, he got to see his big brother say some things that were very truthful, very direct, very confronting, but yet Jesus never regretted anything that he said. And what we're going to see at the end is maybe how we can get there, but I think, I think James's point is that it is when we look to Jesus, when we look to James's big brother, we actually see this example of what words can be, of how to speak with maturity and how to speak with, with wholeness. And when we look to his brother, we can actually mature in that process. And we can become where we have these slips of the tongue less often. And I think that's what James is saying is that, listen, we all stumble in some ways. But as Jesus works in your life and as Jesus works in your heart, what you can see when it comes to what you say is that you have this, these slips of the tongue less often. And if you regret what you've said before, take encouragement in that that you can actually have less regret in your life. Doesn't that sound good? Anybody in here want to leave today with more regret? Or do you want to leave with less regret? Yeah. Well, let's learn from James because he wants us to understand the power that those slips of the tongue have. Now, remember, we're not just talking about the things that are unintentional. We're not talking about things where you call somebody by the wrong name. We're talking about the things that you say that you regret that you've said. Whether the timing was wrong, whether the words you used were wrong, we're talking about those things that you regret what you said. We'll look at verse 3 and let's see the impact of these. It says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they can obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds and they are guided by a very small rudder 
wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, a small piece of the body. I want to stop right there because what he's saying is that in all these examples, it's something very small that has this huge impact, right? You think about a horse, and it is just a small piece of metal that's in the horse's mouth, but yet it can direct this animal where to go. I don't know if you've been near a horse lately, but they are powerful beasts. And with just one small little piece of metal, you can direct that power wherever you want it to go. A ship is the same way. You have this huge ship with, with these huge sails where when the wind's blowing it, it is this, this power. And yet this little piece of, of metal in, this back, in the back, this little rudder can direct that ship where to go. And he's saying the same thing is true about your tongue. That even though it is this small little muscle in your body, it has huge power. Like think about, think about Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. That thing was, was spoken 56 years ago. And it is still moving people into action. Right? Because one little muscle in his body formed words that are still moving people. Isn't that incredible? Now, now James is going to talk about negative examples. That's a positive example. We, we know what this is like. We know like when a spouse is heading out to work and, and they have this really important meeting and they're focused and they're ready. And what they hear from you is, wow, you're going to wear that? They don't have time to change, so now their confidence is shot. Or what if a friend calls and they're really upset about something and for them it's a big deal and they share what it is and maybe your response is, wow, that's it? I thought this was a big deal. Their despair goes up. What if a coworker shows up? And listen, life has been crazy for them. And it has dragged them down and they are completely wiped out. And you look at them and you say, listen, we've got a job to do. Let's do it. Whatever's going on at home, keep it at home. Now their hope is shattered. You see, one little muscle in our body, the tongue, can have this huge impact. And that's what James's point is, is that a slip of the tongue has big impact. And look at when it has this big impact. In the rest of verse 5, it says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And this word boast means to put yourself in the highest of positions. It means to put you even above God. Now, how do we do that? We try to control things, right? We try to control things that aren't ours to control. We criticize, we complain. I saw this great meme that said, um, uh, oh gosh, what was it? it? It was Southern Girl Speak is what it was. And it was says, when a Southern girl says, um, I don't know, I'm not in charge, it means they're doing it all wrong. Right? Because it is how we try and control things and manipulate things with our words. To boast is to be prideful. And it could come out in judgment. Right? It could come out about when I have kids... They're not going to throw a fit in the store. Now, y'all, I said that. That's why it's here. I said it. I was a teacher and had 30 kids in my classroom that I could manage effectively. And I thought one kid in the store would fall under that same category. I was wrong. 
It does not fall into the same category. Or maybe it comes out like, like righteousness. Well, at least I don't struggle with sin like, like he does or not as bad as she does. And really that's just self-righteousness. Maybe it even sounds holy, our boasting does. I pray every day. I read my Bible every day. But really it's just self-glorification, not glorifying God. You see, here's the deal with pride. Pride has one thing in common when it comes to words. The three things I just said, I think we got them on a slide. When I have kids, they will never throw a fit in the store. Well, at least I don't struggle with sin like they do. I pray every day. It's been conveniently highlighted for you. What is the one thing in common? I. See, here's what pride does. Here's what boasting does. Boasting puts yourself above everybody else. And James is saying when we do that, man, that is putting your words in a place where they are going to do some serious destruction. As a matter of fact, when pride is focused on itself, what happens is that what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And it does a lot of damage. Look at what James says next in the rest of verse 5. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now, in ancient times, a fire in a village was pure destruction because they didn't have fire engines. They didn't have hydrants to connect hoses to, to put stuff out. There's actually this ancient history of this town called Tel Megiddo, which, which, which was this huge village and completely burned to the ground in three hours because of a fire that broke out. The entire city was gone in three hours. And James is saying, when your words come out of this prideful place in your heart, it is that kind of destruction. You see, a slip of the tongue not only has big impact, it has a big negative impact. But now comes the shocking part, right? Are we all feeling low enough? Well, James isn't done, because here comes the shocking part. That the divided heart that these words come out of might be one of pride. But what James is going to do is he's going to show us the source of them. And he's going to show us why these slips of the tongue have such a big impact and why they have such a negative impact. Look at verse 6. He says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by what? Y'all just said hell in church. <laughs> but that's James's point. That when your pride puts you in a place above everybody else and puts you in a place above God, those slips of the tongue... They aren't just from some place in your subconscious. They are from the pits of hell. And what James's point here is this, is that a slip of the tongue is a tool for Satan to use. It can divide friendships. It can divide churches. It can divide any group of people. These slips of the tongue. And it makes sense, right? Because where there is pride, there is Satan. Where there is boasting, there are demons. Like that is their favorite environment to grow and to thrive in. And if you're not feeling bad enough, look at what else James says. He says for, in verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird 
of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. And there he's looking back to Genesis and he's going through the the phases of creation. And he's saying, look back in the garden. And, And God gave Adam and Eve this command to have dominion over creation. And they could. And that dominion for most most uh, relationships between man and beast has still played out. We can control horses and we can control animals and train them. But look at verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And with it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So what do we do, James? What do we do if we've got this, this tongue that we can't control, if, if everything that God can create can be tamed except the tongue? And James, James uses this word restless evil, and what this word pictures is it pictures a, an animal that's in a cage, right? And, and have you ever been to the zoo or been to a place where an animal is a little bit riled up in the cage and they start moving around and you can tell, like particularly if you're looking at tigers or lions or something like that, you can tell that they're kind of getting their, 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 their way that they go after prey and they're looking at you or maybe looking at some kid standing there. But you take this comfort because you know there is a cage between you and them or there is huge glass between you or them. The picture that James is using is that this wild beast is in a cage, but it is unlocked. And it is a cage that is very, uh, very badly put together. And if that beast pushes just a little bit, the whole cage comes down and what is wild will become wild and devour you. And he's saying the tongue is like that. Yes, it's in a cage, but it is in a cage that's barely locked. And anything can set it off. And so what do we do? Where's our hope in this? Look at what James says here. He says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapefruit produce pigs and figs? Or pigs. (laughs) Neither can a salt, salt pond yield fresh water. Now see, what James does is he uses three Things to describe something that's impossible. That a freshwater spring won't give you salt water. Saltwater pond won't give you freshwater, and a fig tree will only bear figs. And here's what I think James is doing. Remember, his big brother's Jesus. And Jesus did this great teaching on the tongue and did this great teaching on on where our words come from. And this is what James is alluding to. And so what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. Matthew 15, verse 10 through 20. It's on page 679 if you're using the Bible that was in front of you. And I want us to look at, at Jesus' teaching here in Matthew. By the way, there's nothing a pastor loves to hear more than Bible pages turning as you're turning around. That's, that's nice. Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. Because Jesus is going to say something. And, and what he's going to say offends some people, but brings hope to a whole lot of others. Look at Matthew 15. It says, uh, verse 10, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. 
It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what, what, what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then the disciples came to him and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Now, now here's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are people, they put the law first, right? They knew the law of the Old Testament. They knew all the do's and don'ts of God. And not only did they know them, they put themselves pretty high up on their ability to follow them. To the point where uh, there was no insects in what they drank. They, they, they washed their hands properly. They did everything the way that God's word said to do it. And so according to James, what we just saw, when you put yourself above God and you put yourself above others, that is boasting. And the Pharisees were as a group of people, not all, but as a group of people, were very boastful in what they believed and how they practiced their belief. And so when Jesus said something like, hey, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of your mouth, you see, that hit them straight to the heart because they were pretty particular about what they allowed to come into their mouth. But because of their boasting, they weren't as particular about what came out of their mouth in words. And the disciples are are telling Jesus, man, that really upset some Pharisees. You might need to go back and make things right with them. But these Pharisees are also this great picture of a divided heart. Well, look at verse 13, because Jesus is going to explain this to the disciples. And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly father, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be up, will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. I love Peter because he's like, listen, they might be offended, but I'm lost. Because I thought what we put on our mouth was a big deal. And now you're telling me that it's not. Can you, can you unpack this a little bit for me? And so Jesus goes on and he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into a mouth passes into the stomach and it is expelled? So he's saying, listen, guys, what you eat isn't the issue. Here's the real issue in verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false, witnesses, sla- false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so Jesus is is making this point that that what you say shows where your heart is. And when you boast, it shows that there is pride in your heart and your heart is divided. And Jesus and James point us to the same reality and it's this, that a slip of the tongue shows a divided heart. And a slip of the tongue is a tool for Satan to use because it is, it is forged in pride and it is, it is formed in this boasting attitude. And y'all, Satan doesn't even have to do much for that to spread like wildfire. It just does. And both James and Jesus are saying that when you regret what you said, it may not just be regret. That it may be something deeper. It might actually be conviction. 
And so what if your heart is telling you that in that moment where you regret what you've said, in that moment where you go, gosh, I don't know where that came from. What if that is your heart telling you it is divided right now? And it is begging you to, 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 to let Jesus heal that heart again because right now it's divided and you're operating out of the wrong side. What if regret isn't just regret, but it is conviction by the Holy Spirit about what you've said? Well, here's the good news. That our gospel takes divided heart and makes, and makes them whole. That the gospel you believe takes your divided heart and it makes it whole. That faith in the gospel is a whole-hearted faith. You see, when Jesus was crucified and resurrected to provide a way for you to have eternal life with the God who loves you and the God who created you, when you have faith in Jesus, sin no longer has power over you. Its penalty has been dealt with and its power has been dealt with. And yet it's still very present in our lives, and it still divides our heart. We are still boastful people, aren't we? We're still prideful people, aren't we? I know I am. And I know some of y'all, you are. Okay, that's a bigger joke, I thought, but, but that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's a little conviction. Maybe I'll regret it later, and I'll apologize. I don't know. But we are. We are all boastful, prideful people. And not, not every moment of the day, but in some moments of the day we are. And when, when sin divides our heart, Jesus can weave it back together. Because here's the truth. Friends, Jesus is stronger than any divided heart. And he can take the most divided heart and make it whole. And where there is regret, there is conviction and where there is conviction, there is an invitation to healing. So if you've regretted something that you've said, it is more than regret. It is conviction. And the Spirit of God is asking you to do something with that conviction that brings healing. And so what do you do when you have a slip of the tongue? What do you do when you regret what you've said? What do you do when you've had that mean uh, awful, accurate thing that you said? Well, it's very simple. The, the first thing you do is you acknowledge the sin behind the statement. Right? And that is between you and God. What was going on in your heart? Was it judgment? Was it self-righteousness? Was it self-glorification? Was it pride? Was it boasting? What was, what was going on in your heart? What sin was there? And then confess that sin to God. And that's one step for healing. The next step for healing is, if possible, confess the sin to the person. And acknowledge that what you've done was from the wrong place in your heart. That your words actually weren't words from a wholehearted faith. They were words from a divided heart of faith. Words from pride and words from boasting. And all you have to do is say, I'm sorry I said this. Will you forgive me? And y'all, here's the powerful thing about that phrase, will you forgive me? Because a lot of times in counseling, I hear couples say, I'm sorry for this, and I'm sorry doesn't actually do a thing. All it does is acknowledge that you made a mistake. But when you say, I'm sorry I did this, will you forgive me? Something happens that is this gospel magic where you take the power of that offense and you give it to them. 
And then they look at you and they go, I forgive you. That's beautiful. And it's reconciliation and it's restoration and it's healing. And so what do you do if you regret what you've said? You, you, you acknowledge the sin, you confess the sin and then you, to God and you confess the sin to the person. But here's another little tool that I want to give you so that you actually have those slips of the tongue less often. And it's this. It's to think before you speak. Right? And, and I know that sounds incredibly simple, but I'm going to break it down for you a little bit. I'm going to do an acronym of THINK to give you a grid to run your words through. And it's this. Think before you speak. Is it true? Is what you're about to say truthful? Meaning, is it based on the word of God, not your opinion? Is it based on reality, not perception? Is it true? Is it based on facts, not on feelings? Because sometimes feelings feel very true, don't they? But the facts speak to a different story. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it actually going to help the person that you're, that you're talking to? Or is it going to harm them? Or is the harm that you're bringing, because sometimes the truth does hurt, is the harm going to be helpful? Because if somebody is about to cross the street on a busy highway and a car's coming, like, you need to say something that's helpful. And you might have to say it quickly and abruptly, which might be hurtful, but at the same time, it's helpful, right? So is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? That's the I. Does it actually promote what is good? Does it draw them to a better life? Does it heal the relationship? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? That's the one that gives me the pause the most. Because, you know, I know how this is going to play out if they don't do what I need them to do. Right? Parents with kids, right? Is it necessary? Or sometimes, is life a better teacher than my words? Sometimes. And then is it kind? Is it kind? See, nice tells people what they want to hear. Kind tells them what they need to hear. Is it clothed in compassion? Now, here's the deal. And here's what I love about this, because I use this all the time. Just the simple 10 seconds that it takes to pause and go through this. Think before you speak. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Just that quick 10 seconds many times has reframed what I say and how I say it. 10 seconds. And you can have those slips of the tongue less often. Now, next week, we take communion. All right, we're going to have the tables up here and we're going to take communion. Jesus gave this teaching on communion that says, listen, if you have offended someone, not if they've offended you, if you have offended them, before you come to the table, go to them and make it right. Acknowledge your sin, confess your sin to God, confess your sin to them. Go do that before you come to the table. So church, here's what I would love to see us do. If the whole time I've been talking about regretting what you said, there's a conversation that keeps coming up in your head. I think the Spirit of God is asking you to do something with that conversation. Here's what your pastor is going to ask you to do. Is there a conversation you need to have before you take communion next week to fulfill Jesus' words about if someone has offended you, you go to them and make it right before you come back here? Now, he said that when they were at church. I'm giving you a whole seven days 
to go make it right. It might be a phone call. It might be a face-to-face conversation. It might be a simple text. I'm sorry for what I said. Will you forgive me? Y'all figure that part out. My challenge is to go do it. And do it in the name of Jesus. Because like, like Liv said, if we are a people where our words bring praise and our words bring goodness and our words bring healing into relationships, the world is a better place. And that can start right here with this body of believers. That fellowship can be a better place. Now let's pray. Jesus, um, you wrote these words, and I am so glad that you did. Father, because your desire for us is to have this whole-hearted faith, not a divided heart, not to let pride and, and sin and boasting have its way with us, but, but to let, let the compassion of the cross and the power of the empty tomb wash over us and, and, and fill us and make us whole. And the fact that, that your very Spirit of God dwells in us And that as Paul wrote, we can grieve that very spirit of God by not walking in faith. And God, I pray for all of us, myself the most, Father, that that when we offend people, we go back and we make it right. And we apologize, whether it was intentional or, or unintentional. If it was unintentional, we apologize. If it was intentional, we ask for forgiveness, Father, in that we bring healing to relationships that are broken. And Father, that you would get the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.